Welcome back to the Millennials Podcast. I'm Smith. I'm Fade Rafa. <laughs> and it's the voice that that got a little dry. Just a, just a tad bit dry. But then you dumped yourself into that big black tank of goo. And you're wet again. <laughs> That's right, say, Marcus. <laughs> I'll say on, on Dune, Marcus would be the most popular person around because it makes you moist. That's true. Mm, hell yeah. <laughs> he brings the liquids. Yeah. If he'd be like the clickbait article, like, this guy's secrets, Fremen would kill for these secrets. <laughs> <laughs> the secrets Fremen don't want you to know. <laughs> 12 reasons why uh, Rawan hates him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, hey, Robin's not in this movie, is he? Or, or no, is, that's, is Fade gone or is Robin gone? They, but, they merge them into one character. Batista is Robin. And now okay. they haven't cast Fade Rotha yet, but apparently there is going to be an actor playing Fade Rotha. Oh, okay. They're actually gonna, I thought they just merged them into one character. Yeah. They're kind of the same, really. I saw a tweet saying that, uh, that John Mulaney should play Fade Rotha. <laughs> <laughs> he's finally got the right form for it yeah. now. He's in, in, in the public eye. He's become Fade Rotha. So if you, if you can't tell, today we're foregoing... The hard-hitting journalism we normally do about world politics. And we're going to talk about the desert planet of Arrakis. Because the movie Dune just came out. And there's two great reasons for us to do this. One is that me and Smith are sickos. And we've read the Dune book probably two or three times each. And we love it. And Marcus has never read Dune. So he was right. for a different experience. <laughs> and the second reason... This is an auspicious day. Is that the sequel just got announced today? Oh. Man, if we would have recorded this yesterday like we were supposed to, we would have just been speculating as to if it was going to get a sequel. But now we know. I was a doubter. I thought it wouldn't happen, but here we are. It had a really good opening weekend. Very, surprisingly very surprisingly. So. It had a huge opening weekend, even though it was one of the movies that was released on HBO Max and theater simultaneously. In fact, they released it on HBO Max 12 hours earlier. So it had an even worse chance than some of these movies, but it ended up making more movie, more money than any Warner Brothers movie that came out this year combined. Oh wow! So for opening Shit. weekends, at least. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. So I just want to say that, oh, by the way, on the scale of sickos, I'm above Seth because I've read all the way to Chapter House Dune. Which I don't recommend. That's true. I've only read the original book, but I am I'm get, I'm gonna do it. I'm getting there. I'm gonna read them all. Dune Messiah is good. God, God Emperor of Dune is good, it, but it's diminishing returns each time. Well, because but we're talking about the the mo- go ahead. Yeah, sorry, sir. But real quick, just as an aside for everyone, Frank Herbert only wrote the sequels because he needed to pay for his wife's medical bills, right? Right. So I yes. feel like he was probably just like, I'm gonna write whatever the fuck I want. I don't care how good it is anymore. And then right. he just wrote yeah. it. So, but this is about the movie yes. that came out. Not the David Lynch from 84 film. This is the 2021 version Denis of Dune. Villeneuve. Right. Took a big swing after after Blade Runner 2049, which I loved and was yeah. surprisingly successful in a way. A movie that no one asked for, but was good. Which yep. is what really struck me about it. Is no one wanted that movie, but it was but good anyway. absolutely rips. Mm-hmm. So they said, I'll give him a shot. He can make, he can make Dune again. Because yeah. there's, there's been two prior, well, actually Color Rod but the first one was David Lynch, 84. John Arowski tried to make it before that, but it ended up being a 12-hour epic that never got made, yep. which is unfortunate. Should have, that should have happened. I would have definitely wanted to go to an all-day showing of Dune and just take a bunch of mushrooms first and exactly. ride it out in the movie. <laughs> put a bunch of there sand in my pockets, put my hands in it. 
Yep. Mm -hmm. There was a miniseries in 2000 on the Sci-Fi Channel, which is not well regarded, but is the most faithful adaptation of Dune yeah. thus far. And then there's Ch Children of Dune, which we're already talking about in 2003. But that's, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. So this one was, like you said, Denis Villeneuve's attempt, and boys, it was an experience. It was the first, I've got, I braved the theater to go see this movie. Oh, and see? You, you might do it again. I might go on Saturday to IMAX to see it. Yeah. So, considering the setup for this, that we're the two sickos, before we do any critique or anything, Marcus, what happened in the movie <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. So... <laughs> okay, so there's this family, um, and they have been assigned the the planet Arrakis. There we go. For some reason, to to handle the the spice mining, mm -hmm. and the the other folks who were there for eighty fucking years are like, ah, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I wouldn't say they said whatever, but yeah, okay. Um, so I don't ask me to remember these names because that's, that's the one fine. thing that, that gets me out of fantasy. All these crazy names. That's that fine. I have to yeah, crazy names like Paul. Yeah, and Paul. <laughs> what, what's Paul's last name? Atreides. Atreides. That's Nuts. Insane. How am I supposed to remember that? But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Half the characters are still like Atreides. Come on. It's right. not Fear Hollow we're okay, talking so, about. So the Atreides family takes over the, the Arrakis. Yep. To produce spice for the Emperor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, things are not great. <laughs> They're trying to get That's the, the headline. Together. The headline is things are not great, by the way. <laughs> Once you get here. Uh, all their shit's fucked, you know. They gotta worry about the worms and the uh, the locals who uh, really don't care for them. And shit, shit. What? What? Ah, yes. the The big, the big uh, <laughs> thing is uh, the dudes who were harvesting that planet came back and killed the Arrakis. Not Arrakis. Wait. The Atreides. Atreides family, yeah. Under order of the Emperor. Uh-huh. And then uh, Paul, uh, one of the few survivors, uh, is roughing it in the desert to survive now. And apparently he's like some weird off-world messiah okay. in some prophecy. So, yeah. That's that's what I got from Dude. Didn't read a single fucking book. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty good. Now, Marcus, real quick, what, what, what is the spice? What, what, why are they all trying to get this stuff? Uh, okay, so the spice, apparently when you're in space, you need the spice so that you can see, like, a safe path through space. Okay, okay. That's, yeah, that's okay. one of its uses. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, uh, that's, that, I mean, they, they delivered yeah. the info, so. And it is also a <laughs> uh, drug. That people use. Yeah. Ah, oh yes. Hallucinogenic. Exactly. All that's the right. friends, that's why their eyes are so blue. It's because they've, they've done so much spice. I, know <laughs> I that's mean, just, are they doing it on purpose or is it just like in the atmosphere? And like, that's oh, the lower it. end. No, they do it on purpose. Okay. But that's the lower end of what happens to you when you do spice. And once you read the novels, 
I mean, there's some guys who the guild these are called guild navigators. They basically tra- they do so much spice like they have to to live. They have to like basically live in a tank where they're always having like liquefied spice being pumped into it. And they are like fishmen. They have they they've oh. turned from a, they they were born as a human looking person and they became like a fish amoeba kind of thing in a tank. All right. So yeah. Now, yeah. Now the antagonist. He can fly. Is that a spice thing as well? It's no. a suit. Yeah. Oh, uh, suit. He wasn't really wearing. He had that thing on his spine. One of his, the, the, uh, his whole the whole held and all was bulk. That's his, his flight suit. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. When is that going to be in fashion? Let's wait till the year ten thousand to have that <laughs> thing in fashion. I know, right? I would love to have that. Interesting fact I learned, by the way, is the movie says it starts in the year two thousand one hundred or ten thousand one hundred ninety-one. I thought that was from today's calendar. I was wrong, actually. I learned today that this is 10,191 from the, the end of the Butlerian Jihad, which is thousands of years in our future. So it's even further off than that than when you think <laughs> it probably is. Probably like year awesome. 20,000. Yeah. We can't get into all that right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's one thing I'll just say real quick. I, I hate to do this. Go but ahead. I got Last night I rewatched Lynch's Dune. Okay. And... The sheer cowardice of Villeneuve to not show us a guild navigator third stage in the first ten minutes of the film is insane to me. Show me that big slug boy. Put him on the screen. Hey, you see him. That was the sequel bait he gave to the studios. He's like, you guys see this? I'm not showing it to you to give me a second movie. Oh, yeah. damn. Because <laughs> um, there's some weird fucking shit in Dune. There's lots of weird stuff to show off. Yeah. So, Marcus, I want to prod your brain a little bit more. Because the... Okay, the, the there's some things that, you know, me and Smith know that were pretty much not pointed out in the movie, but were there. So I want to get the I want to get your opinion. The guys in the movie, there's two of them that we saw at least that had like a black mark on their lip. Right. One worked for the Atreides, one worked for the Harkonnens. What's the, what what are their deal? What's their deal? They look like advisors and I guess they can like see the future or some shit. You're pretty close. So those are actually called mintats. And um, another thing you may have noticed in the movie is that there are no computers at all. Because in the Dune universe, they have um, basically gotten rid of using computers for a reason we can get into later if you'd like. Um, And so now they've, through generations and generations of training the human mind, they have replaced them with top people called Mentats who can do complex calculations in their head and have deep memories of like history and such. That's why they asked, like, oh, how much spice do they use? And he, like, rolled his eyes in the back of his right. head and said how much. It's because that's, that's him doing his little calculator method. Okay, cool, cool. And that was Thufur Hawat, uh, the best character in the film. Yeah. Everyone loves him. We all wanted to see Thufur Hawat. I love uh, that actor. On screen. I love Stephen oh, McKinley yeah. Henderson. Um, yeah, definitely an interesting casting right there. I did not see that coming for Thufur at yeah. all. Um, so... We're not going to get into the plot of Dune because Marcus already summarized it pretty well. Yeah, and also perfectly. the fact that you probably know what the fucking movie's about at this point. You don't need to hear us talk, talk about it. I'll just say this. First point about the film. Beautiful. Gorgeously shot. Just dripped Dude. style. Yes. The scale. Just the sheer mm-hmm. scale of seeing these absolutely huge ships juxtaposed against these tiny, tiny people on the ground just shows how far the universe has gotten at that point. And a lot of the stuff that he showed this movie, I, I feel like are lessons learned from Arrival, like the way that the ship looked in that movie and how everything, just how um, everything interacted in that world as well. 
So that was immediately just so cool because like within the, within the first five to ten minutes you get to see that big um ship where they do they tell them they have to, that the Atreides have to move to Arrakis and that was just it just was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I I loved the ship designs in how like hostile everything appeared to be like it all had this aura of beauty from afar but up close they were menacing like that that the part where the ship comes in the rain to bring the reverend mother to meet jessica and paul yeah that ship felt like something otherworldly in a in a, yeah. an alien sense right yeah the gom jabbar scene was like i'm not gonna call it horror but it was like definitely way more intense than i thought it was gonna be there were whenever the reverend mother uses the voice it was like mm. actually kind of chilling Right. Oh my god. That's like their, Marcus, their how, force, what the voice, right? man. Man, the voice is weird. <laughs> I like how I like how Paul's training in it and he can't quite get it right. Yeah, she's like, but, it doesn't sound like that, you idiot. Right. <laughs> you think that's how it sounds? Right. But when they depicted it like with that with that old lady bossing him around, that was creepy. I was like, oh yeah. shit. <laughs> He didn't even realize he was doing what she wanted. Yeah, because things happen so fast. She said, come here. When she had finished a sentence, he was already in front of her. It was like, it was just so right. weird to think that's how it works. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Interesting question. This is also talk about the movie. Uh, Marcus, the voice that you see Paul and Jessica and the Reverend Mother use. Did you find it, was it, did, was it weird to you that Paul was using it? Um... Mm. Weird that Paul was using it. I mean, right, cause, that's kind of the first thing we get from Paul. So yeah, no, true, true. Because it, it'll tell you is in, in the in the in the movie is in the books is that men can't use the voice. Right. There's never been a man who could use the voice. That does explain why that lady was like, "Oh, this this is wasted on a man." <laughs> it's like, yeah, ah, right. oh, okay. <laughs> because she's like, "You think you're gonna birth the Quizats Hatterack?" And then I'm pump, I'm like pumping my fist when they say quiz at Tatarak in the theater. I'm like, fuller, yes. fully erect. Exactly. Marcus, who or what is the quiz at Tatarak? From my understanding, it's it's fucking Jesus. It's it's Jesus. Not bad. Not yeah. Yeah, the one thing about Dune that I think general audiences are gonna get used to, especially by the next movie, is that there are about four to five different words for the chosen one. In, in it, there's so far in the movies we got Quizat Tatarak and Lisan Al Gabe, and then also Zendaya says it one time. She says Mawadib, and that's the one that you hear a bunch in the book, especially around the middle to later parts of the book. You hear Mawadib a lot, so people are gonna have to get their heads around the fact that he's that Paul could possibly be all three of them. You know, what I forgot though is that we do we do see a Muadib in the movie. It's the little rat thing. Oh yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. Because that's what that's what it means. Yeah, oh. yeah, little, little rat guy. So I was also, surprised. I, I, t- I totally forgot that detail. Speaking of how the movie looks, the ear sweat on the Mawadib thing. <laughs> My <laughs> lord, I've never seen what? sweat on an animal's ears look so cool. Right? Was that a puppet or or what? I'm pretty sure it was CGI. I imagine it that was CGI. really good. Yeah, I was surprised. Also, on the spaceships, a great point no one's made but me, I believe, is uh, the fact that the, the Guild Navigator's ship is is Yonic, or Spacing Guild. It's a Yonic design, rather than phallic. So vaginal. It looks like a vagina and not a penis, which is <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty impressive, because most ships are phallic in design. I, you don't see that very often, so yeah. I, was, I was very impressed. 
Also, just a real th- another quick thing from the books we don't talk about in the movie very much is that the the guild navigators don't or the the space guild doesn't move. They don't they don't they don't move their ships through space. They fold space. The yeah. path they're finding is using their brain to compress space around their ship to put it where they want it to yeah, be. Yeah, because they move, they travel without ever moving. Yeah, the ships never actually move. Gone. Not really talked about in the, in the, in the movie. Yeah. Too much, maybe, hey man, maybe part point. two. Maybe yeah. Dune: The Sisterhood's gonna talk about it because that's also in the works. That's true. The HBO Max show or whatever yeah. they do. Okay, interesting. If any, I, I know. I hate the concept now because Marvel's kind of ruined it, but like if we were going to get a Dune cinematic universe, I'd welcome it. I'd be like, give me all the stupidest shit that happens in these books. Put it on screen. I dare you. I want Dune to do so disgustingly well, they are forced to make yeah. it. They bring everybody back and like, exactly. we're going to do all the Duncan Idaho ghoulas and shit. It's coming. We're doing the Butlerian Jihad fucking prequels right now. You're going to be so sick of fucking Dune by the time we're done. And I'll watch all of it. I'll eat it up. I'll be like a spice fiend. <laughs> I'll even watch the shitty ones. Like the, the, the fucking Brian Herbert, Kevin J. Anderson books. Okay, I'm not, I'm not that much of a sicko. <laughs> If they, I want to see, I want to see Leto the Second become a giant sandworm man. That's what I want to see. Give it to me. Let's put it on the big screen. <laughs> Anyways, um, but yeah, the movie was. I, I liked also. Um, there, okay, there's there's two sides to this about the aesthetics of the movie, yep. which is that the costumes I thought looked good. Uh, the costumes yeah, are great they're on the great. characters. Some folks who criticize them for not being the Mobius designs, whatever. So that's a different thing. But I will say, I did find the sets to be lacking. Uh, no, none of the environments that were interiors, especially, have really drew my eye. I was never too interested in the rooms around them. The most interesting set in the in the movie, in my opinion, is in the Gom Jabbar scene because that is a very sort of like intensely small space. Everywhere else feels a little spaced out and your eyes are more drawn to the characters, but the exterior shots of Arrakis itself and Caladan are beautiful and Gieti prime even for the little we saw of it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I kind of agree. I do think that it was, it was just definitely a different aesthetic choice to go with the more brutalist um, kind of design, just exposed concrete everywhere. And it could have, I mean, at the end of the day, it's probably, it probably was a style choice to get people to focus more on the actors and the dialogue, maybe, because if you give two people too many bells and whistles, they might not even, they might not even hear, not hear the word quiz, that's Hatterack, and not jump up out of their seat. <laughs> Jerking off immediately. Yeah. Oh my God, I was crazy. Yeah, it, uh, so yeah, I thought that the, the costumes, though, I've gotten a lot of flack, and the shields. I thought I thought that the shield stuff, they explained it, I thought, pretty well. Mark, did you understand how the shields work? Right, uh, blah, blah, blah. It's like a light shield. It blocks fast-moving things, so if you're going to kill someone, you have to move, like, slowly yeah. through the shield to kill them. Uh-huh. Exactly. Right. They explained that with about four seconds of Paul doing this, 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 and then this. Right. Yeah. They even say the slow blade penetrates the shield, yeah. which is, you know, the famous quote. Um, but I thought that in the actual action scenes, it didn't quite come through. Those A lot of those stabs seemed pretty high speed to me. Yeah. You know? Well, because the way, and obviously it's very hard to put this on screen, but the way they describe the combat in the books is that you have to move very quickly, but then control yourself so that at the end of your thrust, you start to move slow. Mm-hmm. Very hard to show on screen, I'm sure. So I, it, yeah. I guess it can get a little confusing. Although we can all agree, 
I, I, Marcus, you haven't seen it, but the the shields look way better in this movie <laughs> than in Lynch's Dune from '84. We can't give Lynch any shit for that, though. That was he had '84 CGI tech to work with. You know that hard. is true. That is true. But it was just it was the one thing that immediately kind of jarred me about when I watched that movie originally was how weird the shields looked. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that was pretty cool. Uh, but I think this, the thing me and Seth we wanted to see in the movie, aside from the worms, was Baron Harkonnen. Yes. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård. I wanted greasy, grubby little Stellan Skarsgård to put me in his little vice grip while I was watching. That's what I wanted. <laughs> I wanted to get He's in that very... little tub with him and swim around. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very sort of like subdued Harkonnen, but goddamn that part where he's eating the food in front of Leto. Oh. He's just so gross. Oh, so just, it was like watching Marcus eat a sandwich. Hey, hey, I Except Marcus so makes eye contact. <laughs> yeah. I respect now, you. Now, <laughs> imagine that scene about Harkonnen's making eye contact the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's what I'm saying. If Skarsgård ever, like, gets sick or something, can't make it to set, Marcus. He's Marcus right can be Baron Harkonnen easy. Bring it. Oh, I get to fly. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, man. The flying effects I love so much. They're not as goofy as the Lynch version, but it's still like when he rises up in the air, every time I was just like, this is it, man. Baron Harkonnen is here. I also feel like Baron Harkonnen, like, I think he just likes flying too much because sometimes he would just start doing it for no reason. Somebody would just say, oh, yeah. hey, how's it going? He'd go, fly. Mm. What do you say? <laughs> what? Why'd you fly? He's the only. He's the only person in the movie who flies is what makes it even yeah. better to me. And he's just like, look he's at me, I fly. Oh my god, the imagery of him on the ceiling after the poison scene? Chilling. <laughs> Terrifying. Yeah. Legit. Pretty pretty chilling shit right there. And in the book, they yeah, make the- a point to... They, they go out of their way to point out that the reason he survived the poison is because of his big, disgusting body. <laughs> yes! <laughs> he was too fat to die from the poison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fucking it's a it's a, a, a survival strat <laughs> that Harkonnen has perfected. Oh, yeah, we and uh let's see here. The other men tat in the movie, Peter Peter DeVries or Peter DeVries, uh is is played by David or Dan is it David or Daniel? It's David Dasmalchian. David Dasmalchian. Who Marcus, did you watch the Suicide Squad movie? Uh no. The newest the newest one? No. No, okay. That's you saw Ant Man, right? Not. Yeah. yeah, he's one. He's in the entourage. He's the one that's not Ti in the entourage or Michael Pena. Okay, he's okay. Eastern European yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. yeah he 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 was really good in this movie as, as Peter Devries. Not not really a whole lot to do for him, but man, he just looked fucking creepy as shit, just lurking around in the back of scenes. Yeah, his his weird bald head. <laughs> I saw another tweet. It was like a picture of him and Billy Magnuson, and it was like, you know, these guys are gonna be good in a movie because they always just play fucking weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So oh man, when he goes to the when he goes to the Sardaukar planet and we see the Sardaukar for the first time, I loved the Sardaukar language. Yes, it was so ugly and harsh. It was disgusting. Yeah, and they're was gross aggressive. murder men, <laughs> and they have yeah. a gross murder man language that comes out of their mouths. Yeah. Oh yeah. So Marcus, what did you think about the Sardaukar, the the big planet of? The, the Emperor's Dagger. Um, or Spear, whatever they call themselves. I, I, 
From what I oh okay yeah they had like the big old like ceremony before yeah because Batista goes there and he's like what the fuck is going on and they're like you're lucky to even be talking to us right um I don't know they they seem pretty like they have their role we kill shit and they do it very well so, yep. so. not wrong Marcus is on um, fire today hey man I, I hey you give me a movie that you know interests me. Yeah. Some way, I'll, I'll watch that shit. <laughs> How'd you feel about? How do we all feel about uh, Duncan Idaho, uh, played by Jason Momoa, in this movie? Duncan Idaho. <laughs> he was. I was. I was a skeptic of the Momoa casting at first, and I do think he's definitely a different interpretation from the book. But it kind of fit the movie, and it was kind of rad. <laughs> Honestly, I ended I ended up really liking his nugget because he he was basically just like I want to just do cool shit all movie. I don't even care if I die in the process. I just want to do something cool, and then that was what he did whole time. Yeah. So so that's it for Duncan Idaho. He's just he did his role already. Well, oh yes, thus far, Marcus. Well, we don't know. Maybe there's a part two. <laughs> he won't be in that one, but don't just there is but his coming. Don't you worry. Never know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The only character, the only person I thought was miscast was Josh Brolin as Gurney Halleck. Because Gurney Halleck, to me, should be a short, little, ugly he guy. He should be ugly. Michael Chiklis-looking motherfucker, you know? just Not not disparity of Mr. Chiklis, but someone like Michael Chiklis. Bald, that, wait, Michael Chiklis is behind you right now. <laughs> He's putting you in a vice grip. Yeah, that, that's something like that because he's just too hot. He can't be can't Gurney Halleck. He's just too hot. Yeah, I mean, it's not possible. In '84, they got it wrong by, by putting in Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart's too hot for the role. Bizarre casting, absolutely yeah. bizarre to do that. But I will say that also when Josh Brolin is doing the sparring session with Paul and he like screams, "They're not human!" I was like, "All right, got it back." <laughs> I was like, Josh, okay. "That's too much." This, this isn't your Oscar, Josh. Come on, <laughs> you know, yell at me for no reason. Right, we get it, man. You're 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 Gurney Halleck, but it was just I don't know. Also, he disappeared from the movie about two thirds of the way in, and just yeah. just gone. <laughs> it's like you're like, wait, what happened to Josh Brolin in this film? Where did he go? Marcus just now realizes <laughs> yeah. where did Josh Brolin go? <laughs> I guess there. I was just supposed to assume he died in the raid. I think that's actually like one of the the casualties of such a big like impressive cast. Is there were so many other people in the movie that I kind of forgot he was in it by the end. Yeah, and he was like at yeah. the front line of the yeah of the, the Counter Strike, I guess. At least he comes back later. At least he, he gets to come back in the next movie, probably. Hopefully, because right. he doesn't his character does survive in the book, right? He becomes a smuggler yep. or a raider, and then he meets Paul again later. Yep. Spoilers real for quick, the second sh- part. Well, yeah. Fuck it. You. We should talk real quick about. Timothy Chalamet as Paul. My my best boy. My little my little tussled hair little boy I love so much. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, who is an a, a, above age person, by the way. Um, I've, always, majority. I've always loved Timothy Chalamet ever since I saw Lady Bird. And he played the most realistic character I've ever seen in a movie. Good um, God. And so, and Villeneuve has said several times in interviews that if Timothy Chalamet did not sign on to play Paul, they would not make Dune. Wow. Because he said that Chalamet was just the actor who was kind of made to play Paul Atreides. And I agree. I thought that 
Chalamet did a good job of being kind of weird and a little bit off-putting in the role. Like, he's... He is like I am the I'm the Messiah or whatever, and that's what fucking weird, right? He's like, <laughs> this is strange. So he doesn't. He, he's not like I'm the big charismatic man who's gonna fucking rule the universe one day. Instead, he's more just like, oh man, this is weird. And I think he sold that pretty well. I mean, that's that that is Paul. Like Paul yeah. was never in the books like super assured of himself or whatever. Yes, I think that one of the it's a very important change to make from the book because in the book, Paul is much more like. A robot, almost, because he grew up being trained by the not only by the Bene Gesserit, but all the Atreides guys and all these other scholars, or by his mom, who's a Bene Gesserit, I should say. Um, and he just didn't have a lot of those, like I don't know, like social elements everyone else has. So having him like joke around with Duncan Idaho and like have these more you know introspective conversations with his dad was a good touch for the cinematic um, appeal of the character, I'd say. How'd you feel about Tony Shalloway, Marcus? Uh, I mean, I the dude's right. Like, <laughs> he he is very awkward, and I don't know. It's it's hard to describe, but he he fits in like a very strange, awkward space. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Ooh, so well, one second. We do need to come to terms with the fact that if Dune was made in the mid two thousands. Paul Atreides would win Michael Sarah. Go ahead. Oh, God. Imagine that. Imagine that, everybody. Yeah. Oh, imagine, shit. imagine Michael Bay's Dune with I was thinking, Michael Sarah. I was thinking Jerry Bruckheimer. Ooh, even better. Mm. Yeah. Two sides of the same coin, really, if you think about it. <laughs> but Seth, I have a here's a question we should ask Marcus. Marcus, when you went to Dune, when you sat down in in, in the seat, you nestled, you got a little nestled down in there, got ready to watch this movie. Did you uh, popcorn you drink, or was it just like were you in the theater? You were in the theater, right? I, I was in the theater. I had I had any, a any nice uh, cola and uh, what is it called the the cookie dough bites. Ooh, nice, okay, nice. Yeah, yeah. When you when 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 Dune began to play on the screen, did you <laughs> think you'd hear bagpipes? I did not. <laughs> I definitely did not. Were you thinking, this is a bagpipe movie at one point. Well, we'll see this for sure. Uh, I was not ready for it. I, I may have almost choked on a, a cookie dough bite at that point. I was like, what? what? Bagpipes in space? Yeah. There, there were a lot more bagpipes than I think most people expected. Oh, yeah. Um, but that is a good segue to talk about the fucking sound in this yeah. movie. Mm. Um, it was one of the best theater experiences I've had recently, um, and probably in a very long time, because the sound fucking kicks your ass the whole time. Marcus, did you see it in any special format, or you just in regular theater? I did see it in IMAX. Okay, nice. Ooh. I saw it in Dolby Cinema, which is very similar. Um, and Smith, you're thinking about seeing it in IMAX this weekend, so... I'm going to, yeah. Yeah, that sound is... That sound is crazy. Oh yeah, um, especially like the scene when they're um, when Paul and Jessica are falling through the sandstorm. Oh my god, it was so loud. It was so good. I already know that if I ever watch this, because I think I might watch it on HBO Max again just to like watch some of my favorite scenes. Um, I might have to be fucking fluctuating that damn audio button because I know it's gonna go wild. Yeah, the uh, 
I can't comment so much on the actual sound itself because I, I saw it in a pretty shitty theater. But I will say that the music was amazing, actually. So out of left field, this music. Because, like, I was like, okay, Hans Zimmer's doing the music. I know it's going to be good. But it's, it's probably going to be, you know, Hans Zimmer doing what he does best. No, Hans Zimmer went out and was like, I'm going to go find people who scrape metal and invent instruments. And I'm going to make music with them. And then, which is probably the best way to make a Dune uh, score anyway. And then, damn, did it. It's incredibly unique compared to most scores. It absolutely worked. I, I was surprised. when I, I didn't know it was Hans Zimmer, so someone told me. And I was like, wait, that was Hans Zimmer? Who I thought kind of like peaked at Molossus or whatever and had never really gotten better than that. Uh, but here he is, something new and original for once. So I'll, I'll give him credit. Yeah. All right. Um, Maybe he was inspired. <laughs> Maybe so. I was just very struck by some scenes where I was like, man, this is not your typical like orchestral soundtrack to a film. This is some weird, you know, foreign alien sounding shit. I like it. Yeah. Maybe he and read also the didn't book rely... and he was just like, hell yeah. <laughs> it also didn't rely on like, I was afraid that at some point they would bust out like the fucking like Middle Eastern typical like sound, you know, like the guy yelling or the sitar yeah. or whatever. But it didn't. It had a whole new take on 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 the music, which was nice. I liked I liked to, because you know the Lynch film had music by Toto, Toto which, did the whole soundtrack, <laughs> and Brian Eno did the theme. Yes. So very different vibes from this movie. Very for sure. different. <laughs> uh, oh. But yeah, I really love the, the the music. That was that was a nice touch. And I want to touch on one more performance that I loved. Well, first of all. Before I get to that one, the MVP performance of the whole movie goes to Rebecca Ferguson as Lady Jessica. God damn, she absolutely killed it. I feel like she understood the tone of the movie, and she really got in character, and I, I was very, very impressed. Because Lady Jessica is hard to nail down. Even reading the book, she is not the, most, the simplest character to, to really get a read on. But she did really, really fucking good. But the performance that I had the most fun watching for, I don't even know what reason, but I just loved it so much, was actually Oscar Isaac as Duke Leto Atreides. Because he got to add, kind of in the same way that Chalamet got to play Paul a little bit differently than the book, I think that Oscar Isaac got the same opportunity, especially that one scene when he's just talking to, to Paul the whole time, which those scenes happen in the book, but there's, there was just a different air to them because of the way that Oscar Isaac played Leto as a very, very optimistic guy who was like, we are going to win this and it's going to be big and we can do it, son. And just something about the way he talked about it. I was like, man, I really feel bad that he's going to die in about an hour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, um, Oscar Isaac in this movie is, is really great and brings a lot to the role. Cause I think both Leto and Jessica have, because they're so in in the movie, in the book they're so they're, they're such like they 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 well Jessica stays around but she's different but Leto exits the scene as we know pretty early on in the book and so he has very little time to work with and I thought that he brought a sort of uh, a decency and a humanity to the role that could have gotten lost uh, like Jurgen Prock now didn't quite nail that uh, in the eighty four. Uh, Dune version here. I felt like Leto, despite the fact that he was a dirty noble, was somebody I could have pro pro maybe liked, possibly. <clears throat> also, Seth, what was your favorite uh, uh, line from from Leto in this movie? You know, here we win with air power and sea power. There, we need desert power. 
And then he says desert power three times in the movie. And it, well, he says it twice and Paul says it once. And yeah. I'm also pumping my fist. It's standing up in the theater. People are yelling at me. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Shut up, book nerd. But yeah, desert power is such a cool thing. It's like, you know that scene in the Aquaman movie when Patrick Wilson says, I'm the ocean master. It kind of feels like that. But in like yep. a much more serious movie. Um, where he's just like, we need desert power. And you know what? He's fucking right. You need the desert power to win on Arrakis. Oh, and, and speaking of, of ocean power, <clears throat> the shot back on Kaladin, where the camera is pointed down at the water, and, the ship and all of a sudden, up. just from the deep, you see this this shape suddenly rise up. Incredible shot. Loved it. Great. Hmm. Okay, I do have a question. Hit us. About the Emperor. What? Why did the Emperor want this family dead? I feel He's like I'm jealous of Duke Leto. Yes. Because Duke Leto is. Leto is kind of like the quarterback on a football team. He gets, the, he gets the hottest babes. He's got the biggest dick. And he's just <laughs> rad as hell. And the Emperor is kind of like. The, the second string wide receiver but he like but he's got like the rich dad so he's like kind of in charge but he knows this guy can take it from him if he really wants to mm. you see what i'm saying i see okay yeah basically leto was he's hot and popular amongst the nobles the landsrad the houses of the landsrad they're called yeah. and the emperor has no male children as i said in the book right he he never managed to get a son so he was afraid that if he this kept up that Leto would replace him as emperor, yeah. right? That he would ascend to the imperial throne because he had no heirs, and so he was like, "Just get rid of him, then you know, get him out of the way entirely." Wow, petty as fuck. Oh yeah, I really hope we get to see the emperor in the second movie. I, yeah. I want to see because he, he's got to show up. I mean, he's he's in the he's in the book, so I want to see that that happen. Who who would you cast as the emperor? Michael Chiklis. Just since, since, we, since we wronged him earlier, I kind of want to give him a win. I was thinking of like a, a, a Sidow type kit type guy, maybe a Max von Sidow. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, that's probably a little more appropriate. So maybe that. Oh, by the way, Marcus, the character um, in the movie, Liette Kynes, the imperial ecologist, the lady who was the judge of the change, remember her? Mm hmm. She in the book was a man, so that's a, a change they made from the from the book. She was a man in the in in the, in the books, and also I'm not sure if you're going to keep it or not, but she's the mother of Shawnee, or he was the father oh. of Shawnee. So I guess maybe she was the mother of Shawnee in this ad- adaptation. Her death is one of my favorite scenes in that the fucking so cool. movie. By the way, <laughs> I know what yeah. you mean, but the way you said it sounded really bad. <laughs> I just yeah. mean the way the way she looks up at those Sardaukars. She says, "I serve but one master, and his name is Shai Halud." And she fucking starts pounding yeah. the sand yeah. to call the worm. Shai Halud's a worm, by the way. It's so <laughs> cool. Uh dude, chills when that happened. That was fucking chills. Oh, that was yeah. a great performance. Great scene. Yeah, God, I don't think I can do that. I was like, oh, yeah, I can kill these dudes, but I'm gonna get eaten by the fucking worm too. <laughs> oh man, we the worms, guys. What about, how do you feel about the worms? They're fucking terrifying. They're terrifying. And one thing I loved is that the one time we get to see one in the trailer is it's the one we see near the end, or about 20 minutes from the end, when 
is looking down at Paul. And you see that big thing. But what I love was the way we see them early on, which is just their mouth coming up. And you see all the, because like, since it's sand, you see the little tendrils come up one by one. And it almost looks like some kind of, I don't know, like a vortex in the middle of the desert. And then once you see that it's a worm, you're like, oh, it's more terrifying than that. Yeah, and it's just crazy because yeah. they can because those ships they were like or the the spice collectors the ones that were roving on the land those things were gigantic actually and they were just swallowing them whole yeah yeah the sandworms i thought they really they really nailed the look of them some folks saw thought they was bags they didn't have the three-part opening mouth but i thought these these look more like primordial almost like these are like this is like a prehistoric worm you know yeah. from like before they were even mm. like jaw bones existed or whatever it was like right. i don't know i loved them i thought they were great yeah oh and we Marcus, did get to see uh one of the uh one of the sand folks like riding on one i was like oh shit yeah and i love they saved that for the very end because that's what kinds was getting ready to do she had her hooks out she was getting ready to call the worm and then jump on it and ride before she was dying. Um, and I was like, are they going to show it right here? And then, But they showed it at the end, and I'm like, that's what you need to show people right there. That's where it's going. Right fucking yeah, that's how, that's, how, that's how you hook them, literally. <clears throat> yeah. Marcus, I have a question, though, about about the, the worms. Um, so did you, did you understand in the movie, did it explain to you well enough that they're, like, sacred to the Fremen? Um, hmm... I don't think sacred got across to me. It was more like they they respect them. Like, oh, this this thing can eat me, kill me whenever it wants to. Let me let me let me respect its rules. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's, I, I, that's I, I do I think they didn't stress it enough in the movie, except for when Kynes talks about it. But I also think that it's pretty easy to miss that Shai Halud is a worm if you're just watching the movie. <laughs> right. Did you know, so Marcus? When she said Shai Halud, did that mean anything to you? When she said no, it? I was like. <laughs> Marcus is like, man, that was cool. I got no idea what the fuck it means. Though. <laughs> so, okay, uh, the Fremen. How how do we feel about the depiction of the Fremen in this movie? Um, um, I, I loved feel... the spitting scene. Because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> people in my theater were legitimately like, oh, damn, he spit on him, and then like, no, 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 that's a good thing. <laughs> you don't understand. We we appreciate that moisture. Uh, yep. Yes. <laughs> oh man, the little snort that fucking that uh, Oscar Isaac does. Yeah. He fucking hawks a loogie down. That was great. I loved it. Uh, Hope that was improvised. Hope that that uh, Oscar Isaac was just like, you know what? I want to put some stank on this one. <laughs> I hope that Villeneuve was like, Oscar, don't you fucking dare. Don't you dare snort and hawk a loogie onto that table. And he kept doing it so much that he had to use it in the final movie. Like, yeah. Fine, I guess. I guess we're doing this. For the first three takes, he didn't even look at the actors. He looked directly at Villeneuve and just did it. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. But, uh, so Stilgar is the, the Fremen we see most of in the movie. You know, he's he's not there for the Fremen are kind of like not a big part of the film because of course in the book they're, they're they're more towards the end of the book or the the second half of the book basically. But how did y'all feel about the the still suits and, and the, the design of the still suits? How it looked? Oh yeah. Um, my only thing would be like because I was thinking about it the whole movie. It's like why is this desert suit black? Like, because <laughs> if you're moving in the day, 
where you're going to sweat the most. I, I guess it makes sense. But I guess it would Actually, be black if you're moving in the night. They move at to, night. That's the thing. Okay. All right. So that's yeah. what I was like. Okay. All right. You'll sweat. You'll get your water. Good. Fine. That. It's fucking great. <laughs> Marcus, how do you feel about the fact that whenever somebody dies, they reclaim all that water, too? I mean, you gotta I mean, survive out here. It's practical. <laughs> can't, can't all that Don't water let go it go to waste. Yeah. I, I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> I also left out the very crucial point in the film that the uh, the knee pads of the suit processed your piss and shit. Yeah, they did gloss over that one a little bit. <laughs> I think they had a good five or ten minutes on that one. That had to get cut. I, I think they did talk about piss. I don't remember the shit. <laughs> yeah. It does process your piss and shit. Don't worry, guys. The suit <laughs> has you covered. It wipes for you and everything. Get you into the fresh suit immediately. Yeah. Shit myself. <laughs> the suit has a bidet. It, you, it's from reclaimed water. And then that water gets recycled as well. God, I can definitely see Marcus getting into a steel suit and immediately just shitting himself just to see if it works. Oh, yeah. I can see Marcus getting into a steel suit and never getting out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Efficient use of my moisture, yes. <laughs> it is kind of perfect for him, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, I thought the Fremen were, I like the look of them. The blue eyes effect, I thought, looked pretty good. I thought that the, not just the, the, the middle part, or the iris of the eye, but also the, the, the white part being blue was a nice touch. That, yeah. was, that was good. Because um, that's, the, it's what makes it look really otherworldly, you know. One complaint I did see a couple times, and I completely understand it, but once again, this is a two-part movie, is that people were like, they cast Zendaya in it, who's a really big star right now. And she's in the movie for all of like five minutes, really, um, between Paul's visions and then the couple of times we we see her like actually, you know, talking and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I get you, but wait till part two. You have no idea how important she's going to be in part two. Now, Seth, there is an important point we made here, which is that at no point in any trailer or true. poster or promotional material did it say Dune Part One, because it snuck at the beginning of the movie. It just it just says Dune and it says part one boom and it just leaves it's like, <laughs> Dune part one okay starts the movie they really wanted to sneak that up on viewers as like by the way this movie ain't finished yet just just so you know I think a lot of folks went in that theater think they're gonna see it a complete experience because this this is my big problem with the film this is my big actual problem with the movie is that Dune was not meant to be presented as anything but one entire narrative. Because at the end of this film, there's no emotional climax. There's no like lesson learned. There's no really like ending point. It just ends. It hits a fucking brick wall, and the credits happen. Like when I was in the theater, and Denis Villeneuve went across the screen, a lady like two rows ahead of me was like, "Wait, that's it!" Like out loud. That's what she said. <laughs> yeah. And that's one. Of I the was reasons, like, "I agree with you, lady." <laughs> that's one of the reasons I was actually really surprised this went over well with general audiences. Because not only is the movie kind of hard to get through, or like hard to like not get through like that, but hard to like you know parse all of the jargon and everything, but then you have to deal with the fact that it's not finished. I was like, man, this movie, this movie might really bomb. But it ha- even on Cinema Score, it had like an A minus. I was shocked when I saw an A minus on on uh, Cinema Score, but apparently it worked. Like my wife has never read the book; she loved it. I talk to people who I work with who never read the book, and they liked it. Marcus seems to have liked it. I mean, yes. apparently it works. I think, Smith, I think Dune's good. I think we were right this whole time. <laughs> it just I took think, a few tries. Yeah. I think I was wrong about 
film about filmgoers in, in this scenario because I did read a theory, and this is be interesting. Is people were saying that maybe Dune will pick up a little bit more than we thought because uh, of word of mouth, and it's in maybe the coming weeks. Uh, because the theory is that people are hogs and have become hogs because of the influence of, of movies like Marvel movies, where they want a franchise. They want the big sweeping epic where everything be connected and there'll be that more coming down the pipeline. And that, I hate that. I hate, I hate it, it because I, I, I want more. This is a movie. You go see it and that's it. It's the, it's the entire experience. But if you can't see more Dune, and people have just been conditioned to love trash, sure, fine. Give me more <laughs> Dune that gets put in with the trash. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> this is a good time to point out the thing that I think at the end of the day I like the most about this movie, Dune, is you talked about the Marvel movies, and you know, there's Marvel, and there's Star Wars, there's all these movies. And a lot of these big movies, whether they have big fantasy premises or big sci-fi premises, lately a lot of them are very self-aware tongue-in-cheek and they're very you know they're like hey we're this is a movie um but dune is sincere it is honest and it is serious and it knows that it is that you have to accept dune you have to like be willing to meet it halfway but once you do it it's it's going to be what it is and it's i just loved how seriously and honestly everything was depicted no matter how because like the idea of baron harkonnen it's kind of silly you know but like the the way it is portrayed and the way that Skarsgård does it, the way Villeneuve does it, is so honest to the material, and I I just absolutely love that because I have nothing against the tongue and cheek stuff. There's a place for that, but I was getting to a point where I wanted some honestly serious sci-fi on, on a big screen, and I think we finally got it. Yeah, there were no jokey quips. There were there were like three jokes the entire. One of the movie. least funny movies ever. And that's not a bad thing. No. It's, it's a good thing. If I think I think that without a doubt we can all agree that the worst thing that Joss Whedon never did was make movies too funny. Uh, that's that's yeah, that's probably the worst thing he ever did. That and make make him is his name legally Joss, but not really, yeah, and then true. get fucked. It's it's that he started the whole thing in the in the Marvel movies where oh we got jokey quips and we're all funny guys and everyone has to get a little singer in here and there and and then even if he was gone they took that and put it in everything everybody's a joker now everybody's got to fucking make a little fucking quip yeah. at every time there is none of that in Doom there are no fucking quips there's no there's, there's three jokes like I said and they all work pretty well and the movie does never it never looks at the camera and winks to you like Star Wars does this too like it, it, it winks at the camera a lot the new ones do and that's fine Star Wars is kind of silly that's all right. Yeah. Like, take it too far. It's too much of the silliness, you know. Yeah. I would say and the original Doom? Star Wars is kind of a good, uh, incredibly good balance of like, we understand this is silly, but also let's take it a little seriously. There's some some yeah. cool stuff going on. I think that was a pretty good balance in the in the middle. But I will say this about Dune: it does not go too far in the opposite direction of being too serious yeah, and not, too stoic. Yeah, it's not too self serious. I would say. It lets itself breathe at times, which is nice. Uh, those jokes mean a lot. Like, the, the example I always have, this is going to sound crazy to everybody, but it's true, is Batman vs. Superman, a movie that takes itself far too seriously for what it is, which is two men in, in tights fighting each other in a, a dirty men's restroom. It's way too serious for that, right? Yeah, we can all agree that movie is movie. way too grim for what it is yeah this movie i think strikes that perfect balance of we're serious and also it's a sci-fi flick you know we're 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 all here engaging in this fantasy here to have fun you know yeah 
So that's what I thought. I yeah. thought I thought that this this movie was. Uh, I guess I was wrong. I thought that it would be a train wreck. And I, I, I still feel like if I hadn't read the Dune books, I would not know the fuck's going on. But Marcus has demonstrated that apparently you, you can know. So maybe I, I, I guess my initial reaction was wrong, I guess. Yeah. 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 And I own up that. I, I was, I, it's in that point, in that thing, I would say it's great then. Yeah, if you're scared to watch the Dune movie because you haven't read the books, don't be. Go ahead. Go for it. You'll enjoy. <laughs> All right, boys. It's time. To get to give a final verdict, I'm gonna say our rating system for Dune is gonna be Baron Harkonnen Blackwater uh, tubs. <laughs> Marcus, okay, start us as the person who is completely. Actually, we'll go Marcus last. Smith, okay. as the most attuned to the Dune universe, how many? Uh, exactly, how many black pools do you give it? I'm going to give this movie, this this Dune film, uh, a four uh, black goo Harkonnen pools out of five. That's my rating for it. Hey, great bonds think I like. I'm also at four black goo pools out of five. <laughs> Marcus, as the newcomer, hmm. how do you feel about Dune? 2021, directed by Denis Villeneuve. It's an interesting world. I, I'm I'm excited to see more of it. Okay. I'm excited to see uh, more of these crazy fucking worms. And you know, I'm I'm down to see what what uh, Jesus is gonna do next. So, four four tubs of hey. nasty goo across the board. Wow, a complete <laughs> hand holding club of four. <laughs> That's great. We all got four black goo pools out of five. Yes. We can call ourselves. This is this is the bloated Harkonnen Award right here <laughs> on the, the Spice Boys podcast. <laughs> Spice Boys, holy shit! Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Have we found something? I need to register a trademark. <laughs> I did see someone make a joke that this is actually a sequel to uh, Spice World. So it was a pretty funny joke. <laughs> I saw somebody said that the opposite of Waterworld is new. Yeah, that is true. Okay, there is Until a podcast called The stuff. Old Spice Boys, but I don't see any Spice Boys. So oh, hey, guys, shit. name change. <laughs> the second podcast. Second podcast, Spice Boys, all Dune, all the time. Yeah. We get Marcus to read all the books. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. And I mean all yeah. the books. All the way to the Brian Herbert Kevin J. Anderson book. Oh, God. <laughs> There is a small, dark, little, ugly part of, of me that wants to fucking read those books. It wants to hurt myself real bad and just get in there and um, see how shitty they are. If I could read... Oh, don't Google it, Seth. No, no, no. If I could read at the speed that you do, I probably would. But I don't have enough time to read these shitty-ass books. Maybe if they do an audiobook. <laughs> Apparently, the, they released a new version of the Dune audiobook, which is apparently incredible. From what yeah, I've it heard. has like oh. multiple voice actors doing all the parts. Oh, um, I heard it's really fucking good. I do want to point out that first of all, if you guys think the Dune books are over, you're wrong because they're still publishing them. One came out in 2020, came out October 13, 2020. I just wanted to point this book out real quick because it's called Dune: Duke of Kaladin, and I haven't read the book, but I saw a review of it where apparently, like, it's going to be a trilogy of books that take place. Right before the Atreides family moves to Arrakis, and nothing happens in them. 
Yeah. <laughs> wow. Because there's so little that actually happens in that time. The books are basically about nothing. Yep. They're really, they're really just, they're, dude, they're, they are squeezing every last dollar out of Frank Herbert's dead corpse. And I feel so bad about it because they're not good books. They're bad and it's yeah. exploitative. And it sucks that it's legacy. his son. Like if it was just Kevin J. Anderson being a shithead, I'd be like, okay, whatever. But like Brian's trying to get on this. I'm like, can't you just live off the nest egg he left you anyway? And I know that I know that Frank Herbert, he actually probably wouldn't give a shit. He'd probably be like, yeah, it's great my son's getting paid. Like, yeah. if I can keep giving him money, that's fine. But damn, they don't suck. <laughs> bad books. Bad <laughs> books by bad writers. Yeah. Well, is that it, boys? We good? I think that's it. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, no sign off. Instead, I will just say, uh, bless the coming and going of him. Ooh. And I'll say that if you want to read, if you want to read my review of Dune, there will be a link in the show notes to my review from my website. Uh, Spice Boys for life. <laughs> Spice Boys. Spice Boys. <laughs> <laughs>